Welcome to the Flower Hour Podcast, the podcast where conversations blossom. It is your boy, Sean Flores. If you love this podcast and you've really enjoyed it, please share, subscribe and follow and look forward to the journey we will be going on. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, hello, everybody. You are joined here for another episode of Flower Hour. I am joined by Rahima an all-African colours contestant. How are you doing, most importantly today? And thank you for joining me for another episode of Flower Hour. Thank you for having me. I'm very good. How are I'm, you? I'm good. You know, I've got my tea here. It's a pomegranate herbal tea. So I'm just getting to oh. what is going to unfold. I, I'm ready. I've only got a glass of water. Maybe I should have had some tea. Do you know what it is? I also do have a five-litre bottle here waiting and ready. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> do you know what it is i try because clear skin needs these things you need to stay hydrated oh yeah yeah and then ultimately that. if you're busy weeing you're too busy to no longer be in someone else's business and that's the tea <laughs> <laughs> fair enough <laughs> so yeah that is that is my ethos in life but i want to ask all about you today this is all your time to shine tell me a little bit more about yourself so me, I'm Rahema Mathamia, but I go by Remy because my name is quite difficult for most people to pronounce. I'm originally from London. Ethnically, my heritage is from Kenya, born and raised in the UK. That's me. And just how important has your Kenyan culture been to being who you are today? Very. I'm, I'm very proud to claim that I'm both British and Kenyan. Okay. 
I think that's definitely part of my identity. I actually lived in Kenya for about oh, five wow. years ago. So I'm a Kenyan girl. I speak the language. I'm trying to cook the food. I'm Is learning. Swahili you speak? Swahili, I speak Swahili. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're still trying to get back in touch with it? I am. I wouldn't say I've necessarily lost touch with it. Mm. Just trying to grow and develop more because it's mm. one thing, speaking the language, but also being in touch with the culture. I try and connect myself to things that are happening in Kenya, the music, the culture, what's, what's popular there, the food, the outfits. Yeah. So do you feel like through the contest, you know, you've got your outfit on now. Are any of the outfits at all as extravagant or as nice as perhaps a Kenyan outfit? Oh, I wouldn't necessarily, it's not fair to compare, I don't think. Just different cultures. Absolutely. Kenyan, but I, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, Kenyan culture, I think what's usually sort of um, the, what the West views as Kenyan culture is the Maasai. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, yeah, the traditional wear, the long earrings, the long necklaces. Um, so that's one particular tribe. In Kenya, we don't necessarily have a traditional garment, but just colorful fabrics. Mm. So outfits, yeah. Because I see that the media represents Kenya, as you said, in one way, and it's just mm -hmm. entirely through the Maasai. I suppose mm -hmm. the Maasai are so dominant. Because I was reading history and I'm, that the Maasai aren't even originally Kenyan. Apparently they're Ugandan and they migrated that I was reading. So that I wouldn't, because I think they are Nilots. So we have different like tribal um, origins. Nilots from either South Sudan, um, yeah. Uganda. Yeah, so they are, that's the region. So we're very diverse in Kenya. Um, I'm a Bantu. My tribe is very different to the next tribe. We each have our own traditions, our own cultures. So there's a lot happening. But unfortunately, the West um, pinpointed one particular and Absolutely. made it <laughs> Absolutely. And I know you're, you're not going to know everything about your tribe, but Bantu is really interesting. I've never spoken to someone that's from the Bantu tribe. Could you tell me a little bit more about the tribe? And I suppose it's an opportunity for us to hear about a different tribe compared to, you know, <laughs> just the Maasai. Tell me a little bit more about your tribe. So my tribe is the Meru tribe but we are of the Bantu people. So Bantu people are a lot of people from Eastern Southern Africa. So South Africa, Zimbabwe. Um, so my tribe, the Meru, we are the herders. Live in, not too far from the mountains, the cattle rearers, the, we say Ushago. So that's like the, the Shamba, the bush people. I don't want to necessarily <laughs> call it that. <laughs> but um, yeah, we're more from the rural areas. We, Rear the land. My grandmother tells me stories about how she used to go work on the land before and after school. Yeah. They owned tea farms. So, yeah, we're not city people. And so you said, you know, you came to London. Do you remember what life was like back home compared to when you came to London? And I ask a lot of people these questions because city life is completely different to a rural life, you know. The pressures that sometimes one may face in the city is not as is quite different to the ones may face, you know, in a rural area. Do you remember that kind of difference? So I was actually born in London. Okay. And only moved to Kenya when I was about three or four. Okay. Lived there for two years, but that was in the city of Nairobi. So I myself haven't actually encountered a life living 
in the village yeah. necessarily. But um, having gone to see where my family are from, it's really quite a stark contrast between the two. Um, I think, I don't want to call them village people, but people from more rural areas. Yeah. Um, I think are very independent, very strong, empowered people. They, I think the idea of like living off the fat of the land is um, a great honor for them. So I see when I see like my, my relatives and the lives that they build for themselves, it's, there's a lot of pride and richness in their home heritage and their culture. So having experienced that and comparing it to my upbringing in a city, very different. Mm. Very, very different. No, I could absolutely imagine. It must be almost two parallel contradiction, but in some senses, some similar worlds. You said mm. to me that your friends would describe you as mysterious, unpredictable. And I also said that the minute that you came on, I found you to be quite confident and quite assured in yourself. Why do you think your friends would describe you as mysterious and unpredictable? I'm mysterious. I have a, a habit, I'd say, of just keeping things to myself and then just springing them up in my friends. <laughs> I like to do, what is it, these sentence, real G's, move in silence. Just, I do things on the low, keep them quiet and to myself, and then when it's necessary, I'll let you know what's happening. So that's why they'd call me mysterious. Unpredictable. You just never know what I'm going to do, honestly. I will up and move to Sweden for a year like I did. I'll... Oh, you did? I did. I lived in Sweden for one year. Because I know there's a big East African population out in Sweden. There's actually a lot of Kenyans yeah. in Scandinavia. Yeah. Why, why did you just up and move to Sweden? Like, we not having, I didn't even know that, so you've got to tell me more. Yeah, so it was a year abroad. So okay. I had just transferred from one uni to another. Mm -hmm. And within weeks, they sent out like a newsletter saying, you know, if you want to study abroad for a year, sign up, register your interest, and then we'll see what happens. And I was just like, I know no one at this uni. I'm going to move to Sweden next year. So from nowhere, I applied and I went to live, yeah, in the south of Sweden, not far from Denmark. And where did you stay in Sweden? And what was it like being in Sweden? Because my friend lived in Sweden and then worked in Denmark. Mm -hmm. He was playing American football. And he said to me that his experience was, they said people were nice. Um, and it was such a shock for him because he used to buy bottled water. But his housemates used to tell him, our water's so clean, you can drink from the yeah. taps. It's not like yes. London, you know? No. I haven't experienced yeah. that. So tell me, what was it like growing up, um, being for that year in Sweden? It was an adventure, to say the least. From the beginning, all the way in the middle, and up until the end. I, I loved it. Honestly, it was very cold. I won't, I won't lie. Winters were very long. From about September till February. Yeah. A lot of darkness, a lot of, a lot of darkness, but the people were great. Uh, I met people from all over the world. I was able to travel all over Europe and actually where I was living in Sweden, a place called Lund okay. was half an hour on the train into Copenhagen. Okay. So I was in Copenhagen quite a bit. So I think that might be similar to your friend. So what are people... Were they quite friendly? Because I've heard sweet. I was reading some comments um, <laughs> why Sweden has dealt so well with COVID. And one of the comments mm -hmm. was, 
in Sweden, we've dealt so well with COVID because we were tired of two meters distancing. We want to go back to five meter distance. <laughs> and that made me laugh because I couldn't understand it. So perhaps could you shed some light for me? I, I can. I... <laughs> Swedes are um, honestly such, such nice people. I don't meet one. I mean, obviously that could be me just generalizing an entire yeah. nation. But the people that I met were so nice. But um, they are very independent, let's say that. Mm. Um, one of the first few lessons we had as exchange students um, arriving in Sweden was like a, a crash course into the Swedish people. Swedish people are very antisocial mm. initially. They like to keep within themselves, um, be very, in, very individualistic. Okay. But once you get to know them, they open up like all the way. And it's about building rapport. So it's not like the Americans where people Loud, are very open. And, yeah, just yeah. I'm so here. I'm not going anywhere. None like that. And it's not the British, we're sort of in the middle where we have a stiff upper lip, we keep to ourselves. Then I think Sweden's on the other end of the spectrum. Okay. Yeah. Because I thought London was bad or the UK because no. I should, I should only focus on London because in London, mm -hmm. you know, you have the unwritten rules of you don't look at anyone on the train, you don't talk to people yeah. you don't know. So it's yeah. quite interesting to just hear that, di you know, that dynamic. You told me as well that you went on to study um, a master's in genetics. Now that's massive. Mm -hmm. So essentially, one may call you a scientist. Tell me all about your degree mm -hmm. and tell me what was it like to finally, you know, get a master's in genetics because that's quite big mm -hmm. so go back to the beginning initially i wanted to be a doctor okay you know, with an african household either doctor lawyer engineer and my pick was doctor <laughs> so that was my beginning and then i somehow found myself going to biomedical science mm -hmm. and then i quickly realized i don't like the lab so <laughs> i <laughs> i had to find a quick exit strategy and found myself in genetics which mm. I think eventually made sense because I'm interested in how people become the way that they are. Mm. So I think if it's not psychology, understanding the mind, genetics is the next thing in terms of biologically, like why, how have you become the way that you have become? So my degree was, I will not lie here. It was, it was a very difficult degree. <laughs> I could, no, I could. It was. I could only imagine because I'm a social scientist and that's a joke mm -hmm. in itself. Apparently, we're the least respected scientists out of everyone. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't think I could do what a job like perhaps like something that you do. No, genetics, it's so interesting. You're just going into, it almost feels like the building blocks of life, mm. going all the way down into the understanding of DNA and how your genes just reflect the person that you become physically, mentally. Um, there's a branch called epigenetics that I'm very interested in. And it's just how influencing factors. So your environment can change your DNA. Yes. Which is just incredible to me. So I enjoyed my degree to go all the way up until a master's level. I am now done with that. My family are trying to get me to do a PhD. I was but... about to ask you about the PhD. No, I'm okay. <laughs> so you could have been a doctor, model, and added so much other stuff to your roster. I know. Maybe. I'll never say never. Maybe oh. in a few years' time, I may decide to go back and 
do another degree. But and then when now... you come back for a part two, hopefully I can say Dr. Rahima. Yeah. My that'd mother be, will be very proud. Yeah. That'd be absolutely <laughs> fantastic. So yeah. also you told me that if you were to describe yourself, you would describe yourself as a walking oxymoron. And you used yeah. a quote from Shakespeare, a feather of lead. Yes. Tell me a little bit more about that. I just think, I mean, the more that I get to know myself, um, it's been a journey understanding who you are. I just don't think I can be one thing. Mm. I think, at least personally for me, there's so many sides of me. I also use the word multifaceted. There's just a lot happening, I think, inside my head, I'd say. Um, and just who I am as a person. I could be a boss woman one minute and then Netflix and chill. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's everything in one, I think, that I am. And that, but yeah. that's, is it that sense of multifaceted and I suppose being multi-layered as well that has mm -hmm. encouraged you to apply for this competition? Because you've got a master's, you know, mm -hmm. Some would argue that your life is already set. It's already made out for you. You just need to get a job. Mm -hmm. Why choose this competition then when your life is pretty much set in some aspects? Right. I think for me, it'd be more of why not rather than mm. why. Um, I'd like to dip my finger into many different pots, try different experiences. And this is a new experience. And it's one like no other. This particular heat is so different to the other heats in Miss England and just what it represents is what I think that I represent so I just thought why not there's so much that can be done with this this is paving a way for so many young women young women of color black and minority ethnic women and just the the places that this could go hmm. so what does it represent to you because I know this heat as you said, it's different. It's so diverse. And typically, you know, when it comes to Miss England, not many people think about a lot of black girls or just women in colour in general being able yeah. to be a part of it. And you said to me, you signed up for that very reason. Yeah. So I, growing up, had seen pageants. I mean, they don't like to call pageants um, competitions <laughs> where women's beauty was on a platform plus their philanthropic work. Um, Miss England wasn't ever on my radar, really. It didn't feel like it was a, a platform that was for me, being a Black woman. I hadn't really seen much representation. And with a lack of representation, you don't feel like that's an avenue or an option mm. that you have. So with this competition coming along, and I mean, also having seen the previous winners for Miss World last year, the winner of Miss Universe there was a lot of, I'd say, hype that came along with it. It was so much representation. I just thought, okay, there's a shift happening right now. Yeah. Women of colour can be in these spaces. And so this was just an, ob like, an obvious opportunity and choice that I would make to come and be a part of this. And with you being a part of it now, just how, is, how has the experience changed you and what has it exposed you to? Oh, wow. How has it changed me? It's really made me put myself out there a lot more. Mm. I don't think this has made me go outside of my comfort zone. Definitely out of my comfort zone. I'd say I'm an adventurous person, but this is really going on a platform where other people can see you. Like, I'm on the spotlight and 
on a weekly basis. I'm speaking with different women all over this country that are on the same journey. And we are trying to represent change and something new. And so I think I've grown. I think I've definitely grown in this journey. And it's also helped me to look inward and really, I would say, question my identity, but just be more aware of my identity as a Black woman in this competition, but not just in the competition, but as a British Black woman too, because of what the competition represents. So then what does it mean to be a Black British woman to you then? In That, that, is, that is a question that I'm still trying to understand um for me it's understanding that you can be more than one thing Mm. i'm not just a black woman i'm also british because by being born here and raised here i have been raised in a particular culture Mm. say if i were to go back to kenya i'm kenyan but i don't necessarily understand all the customs and the way of life there this is home so it's understanding that Um, although when I tick a box it's black African I'm also British so Mm. there's there's a lot more to me and what I'm understanding in that and I think it's a a journey and a process that I don't think it will ever end really I think it's pertinent that you've said that because whenever we think of the British identity usually we reserve the British identity in my head for those who are not white but they're not born somewhere else they're pretty much born in the UK and sometimes that can be quite hard to manage because do you ever feel like you belong but at the same time you don't belong like you know for example you've seen with what happened with Sainsbury's all their racists you know the comments were going crazy you saw back history month and when supermarkets jumped on it and um, said they were supporting the comments were crazy so have you ever not felt British when you see some of those responses to what we believe is morally right and socially right to support black lives. Yeah, I think actually speaking about the recent um, Sainsbury's um, issue, at times it almost feels like a slap in the face because I'm very proud to be British. This, this is my home. Mm. But at the same time, there are some people that don't necessarily believe that people that look like myself or you should be here. And so when that is not even, it's put in your face and you see people's comments and you get an insight into people's psyche, it's not even shocking because you understand it exists, but it's uncomfortable. Just a very uncomfortable feeling knowing that, am I really accepted here? Mm. the identity that I, I, that has been given to me because it was given to me by birth. Um, not everybody thinks that I should have it. And it's to some, it's unacceptable. So it's navigating my way around. That is, um, it's a complex issue. A very, very complex issue. And through being in the competition, I know, as I said already, and we both have acknowledged that it's diverse. It's a completely different kind of dynamic and environment. Mm-hmm. Through being alongside other girls of colour, black, and from other parts of the world, do you feel like you're starting to feel a bit more comfortable in the idea of being British, although there's resistance? Mm. 
Mm. No, I am. I think by, it was almost an acceptance by Miss England having this heat, saying that you are meant to be here. Um, and just seeing representation of women from all over the world. We have women from Jamaica, Nigeria, Kenya, and all mm. coming together to represent the culture and the country that we live in, I think is generally so beautiful. Where mm. else in the world would you have women from really across the globe all sharing an identity and being proud of that identity? There's a lot of pride in it. And it's, just, it's a great thing to see. It really I could, is. I could imagine, I suppose, in some aspects, it would be heartwarming and quite endearing because when I saw the individuals I was like this is quite nice I've never seen this when I think about Miss England I don't know much anyway but what comes to mind is white blonde blue haired maybe a brunette somewhere maybe a ginger that might be quite rare I'm not too sure and then that leads me on to the other topic we're in November now but previously last month it was Black History Month and in spite of everything that had happened with the George Floyd and then you had COVID how did you feel about Black History Month? And what does Black History Month mean to you personally? I think this year, Black History Month, um, I don't want to say, unfortunately, it was slightly dampened down compared to other years, only because we'd spent six months um, really educating ourselves, being riled up about a lot of injustices happening, not only in the States, but here too. Mm. And so I think from the people around me, the fellow black people, last month was, there was less celebration. Mm. It almost felt like a mourning for lives that had been lost and ruminating on injustices that we're facing rather than celebrating our culture. Um, but for me, I took it as a time to really understand black history from my homeland, actually, because a lot of the time I think black history month is American history. Sometimes the bit of black, black British history, but we don't ever actually talk of quote, unquote, the motherland. Yes. Um, and so for me last month, I really made it a thing where I, read books, some articles, asked my elder family members about Kenyan heritage and what being black Kenyan really meant. Mm. So what is it, and what was their answer when you asked them, what did it mean to be a black Kenyan? Mm. Strength. Okay. A lot, of, a lot of strength, a lot of um, overcoming things that happened. Um, hard work, pride, a lot of pride, very proud. My family are very proud to come from where they come from, accepting trials and tribulations of the past. And I think also are looking forward to what could come in the future. Yeah. And how do you feel for your future as a black woman? But I suppose in some senses, you spoke about change. You represent change. You're speaking to so many different women all across, you know, the UK through this competition and more. How do you deal with that pressure? Because it's not easy. You've got a lot on your shoulders. Whilst mm. you might think something represents one person, someone else might think it's another. How are you dealing 
with that pressure? I think it's just living in my own truth. Mm. I only really speak for myself. I don't think it's fair to allow one person to speak for all. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Yeah, I'm an individual. My views and my opinions come from me and me alone. I can put them across in the most politically correct way possible, (laughs) which I I really strive to do. But just understanding I can only be me. Yeah. Yeah, being the best me I can be and allowing grace for myself to be there. And I suppose authenticity is is a key word there. And how do you practice authenticity? Because for some people I know, they struggle to be themselves. You know, in a world that asks you to be someone else, it's hard to be who you really are, I suppose, when you have mm-hmm. different ideas of what you should be, what you can be, what you would be, coming from everyone and even probably from your inner self. So how do you practice your idea of authenticity to be authentic to yourself? Wow. I think actually that's rooted in my faith. Mm-hmm. because um, I'm a Christian mm-hmm. and in the Bible it says, you know, you are cre- there's only one you, you mm-hmm. are unique. So I understand that as much as there's a lot of societal and social pressures to maybe be a particular way, act a particular way, I am only ever me. I am created to be me. And so that's me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to be anything other than myself. I'm created the way that I'm, I've been created. Because I grew up Christian and I always remember my family always said, you should be in the world, but not off the world. Is that something mm-hmm. you resonate with? Definitely. And I think that's as easy as it is to say. It's very difficult, I think. Mm. Be, it's almost just like, that's a great statement to say, but how do you actually practice that? How do you be, practice that? To me, I just live by my faith. Mm. And I, again, it does sound pretty just nonchalant, quite easy, but it's, it's not an easy thing. And it's something that you have to practice on a daily basis um, and understand that we're all individuals. Um, just live your life of truth. And so mm. I practice my life through a faith-based way. And I'm just doing the best I can. <laughs> well, Christianity, I grew up Christian and I say this to a lot of people. As much as I'm not Christian anymore and I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea of religion, I find that the morals and the values that I still practice, maybe in some senses they're Christian, maybe mm-hmm. that's something I've always had, but I'm thankful for the lessons and the morals and the values that I was able to pick up from the church because I'm sure, as we know, to a black African and a black Caribbean home, faith, under, it, 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 it's everything. It's the foundation, mm-hmm. you know. Um, how important has Christianity been to be in who you are today? And when it comes to, you know, things in the world, perhaps that are not as not Christian per se, how do you manage that fine line? Because I know for some people, um, whenever I think of Letitia Wright, for example, she said, she wouldn't do certain roles in acting because it, go, it went against her Christianity. And I know a lot of other people in the entertainment and the beauty industry, they refuse to do certain things because of their religion. Have you ever faced that? And have you had to stay true to your religious values? Oh, wow. 
thankfully, I haven't really had to face. No, actually, no, I have. I definitely have actually in university. Mm. Uh, just the shift in being in a protected home, mm. a protected environment that is based on the fundamentals of Christianity and then going into a world where you are entirely free. You are an adult. Live life the way that you want to live. What is it? The dog gets let off the leash, I suppose is what some people would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's really, I think, a test of your character <laughs> and your faith and who you are as a person. Um, I think that's where I, my faith, or just really, yeah, my faith and my fundamental understanding and my belief was tested. And that's where um, you come across things that really make you look in and be like, okay, Mm. who am I? What do I believe? Um, Am I willing to, you know, go against my own beliefs? Mm. And unfortunately life tests you, (laughs) but I think it's a journey. So um, I'm still on a journey of faith. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to, again, be the best me I can be. Yeah. Um, but allow myself to base my life on my beliefs and my faith in the best way I can. I suppose it's a really honest answer that you've given because sometimes some people would give an answer that I don't think is always truthful. University is not easy. There's drinks. Mm-hmm there's drugs, there's temptations all around. And it's not easy for someone to turn that down and stay true to themselves. And as you said, it's a journey. It's something I generally always find interesting because what's easy to me perhaps isn't always, always easy to everybody else. Right. And I would love to go on to ask you about your beauty of a purpose. Could you tell me more about it? So my beauty of the purpose is um, centered around domestic abuse. And I'm working with the national charity Women's Aid. So they work to prevent women and children from experiencing any form of domestic abuse. Um, I think a lot of people view domestic abuse as uh, physical violence, but there are so many different factors, emotional, psychological, sexual. Um, So this charity is really trying to raise awareness of this issue and provide women with refuge, help, um, whether that be counselling, um, financial, emotional help. So my beauty for the purpose is working with them and hopefully going into schools in my area in Bedfordshire and educating universities, not you, sorry, students in secondary school and primary schools on the signs of domestic abuse and what healthy and unhealthy relationships are and just getting a conversation going from an early age, hoping to in the future, just prevent any issues coming up. Can I ask you, why did you choose that charity in particular to work with? Does it hold some, something personal to you? Yes, it does. So I was in an abusive relationship um, in the past and so I firsthand know just the effects that it can have on you psychologically and emotionally and the work that it takes to get out of that and get yourself to a place where you really, I don't want to say fix yourself, but heal from Mm. the trauma that you've had to face. 
So I just thought that by using this platform to help other women and their children that are either experiencing now or have experienced the same thing that I've experienced would just be an amazing thing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that's perhaps not the easiest thing to share. I think that would help a lot of people. I just want to ask you one last question just about that, if that's okay. How did you come out of that situation and I suppose prosper? Because I know a lot of people might not have been able to come out of that situation because Mm -hmm. everyone's got different strengths and everybody's affected by domestic abuse differently. How were you able to come out of that and I suppose to do the things that you're doing now? You went on to do a master's, you're part of this contest. Just how were you able to do that? I think for me, it was just like the ending point was when... um, an infidelity happened and there was almost like a, a light switch in my head that you are not worthy of this. This is not, you don't deserve any of this. Um, I think sometimes in abusive relationships, you convince yourself and there's a lot of self-talk mm. um, and justification as to why you should remain in that situation. But my ending point was just, um, there is more to life than this. This is not right. Um, so having gotten out of that situation and a lot of soul searching was necessary for me to understand why did that even happen in the first place? Mm. Um, Cause I think a lot of people don't like to say that, you know, um, there are also core beliefs within yourself that allow you to get into situations like that. Um, so it was me just working on who I am as a person and understanding who I am after that relationship Mm. and really reaching out to friends and family and again, my faith to get support, have a support system and grow as a person and know that there's so much more to life than being in a place that is toxic. And through that, I suppose you've come out on the other end stronger, thankfully. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that journey would have been easy at all. And I suppose it's something you're still going on now. And Mm -hmm. that explains why you chose to work with um, Women's Aid. So you said about, it's about teaching young girls and boys about healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. What does a healthy relationship look like? Because in my past, when I've been with um, individuals, what I think is healthy might not always be healthy to someone else. And I realized this from when I grew up, my mum's definition of something looking back at it now was like, Sean, that's a behavior that you need to change for your right. own sake and for everybody else around you. So I'd love to know perhaps what is your definition or the organization's definition of a healthy relationship? Mm-hmm. So I'd say my definition would be people like to talk about communication, but open communication. I think that's Mm. definitely where it starts. What's the difference between communication and open communication? You can communicate with anybody. I am we're communicating now. Communication is just an exchange of words, not even words of body language. It's an exchange of being with someone else. Okay. Open communication is opening yourself up, being transparent about, what you like, what you dislike, what your hopes, your dreams are. Respect, I think, is definitely a big part of open communication and just by itself. Um, respect. Honestly, open communication and respect, I think, mm. would be the two. 
anything else is not secondary, but can be built upon those two bases or foundations. And why do you feel perhaps a lot of relationships between boys and girls or even adults, why do you feel like they're lacking? Or do you feel like they're lacking actually? I think they are because we don't really ever teach ourselves about relationships as humans, we're relational beings. So we want to be in relationship Mm -hmm. with other people, whether that's, you know, romantic, platonic, either way, your colleague. So we're in relationship all the time and we yearn for it, but we don't have an understanding of what it is and Mm -hmm. how we can work and grow. So we educate ourselves on finances, um, on Netflix, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of things that we expose ourselves to and have an understanding of, but we don't have an understanding of what it takes to have a successful relationship. Mm. And I think that's where it ties into me wanting to go into schools and speak to kids to really get the conversation happening. Just what does it look like to come and bring yourself to be in a great place where relationship is healthy and show up in the most transparent and healthy way possible and just how important has your work been just how have you seen it transform children's lives or people's lives you've been able to interact with so unfortunately because of covid right now it's very difficult to go in Mm. and start things up but um i think on a more personal level where i'm starting from home before going in and you know outside of lockdown Um, I have younger siblings and I have many younger cousins, but I'm very open about my experiences and I really strive by being the eldest, just opening communication and having discussions with them about um, what feels right, what doesn't feel right, what boundaries are okay, are not okay. And, you know, the same way they say charity begins at home, you know, developing relationships begins at home. Mm. to then go outside into the world and show up in the best way that you can. Charity begins at home is a saying I have heard for my entire life. And <laughs> my mum almost, she reinforced it like it was tonic. And she always told me that the house is, the home is the most important. You can have a house, but if it's not a home, you're not mm. going to want to come back to that house because it's not yeah. your home. And I would yeah. like to ask, what could society perhaps in your view do Mm. better to promote these healthy relationships for everybody regardless of the dynamic and i suppose Mm. starting with children you're starting at the crux you're starting at the Mm. foundation and they'll go on to manifest those good healthy relationships as they get older right yeah yeah yeah. um what can society do society can just be transparent i think as a society we're not very open at all you don't Um, feel so I don't think that we are. I think we live our lives according to a facade or an image that we like to portray. Mm. And we base our lives entirely on that. I think, especially in this generation of social media, just being at the forefront of everything. We're so desperate to come across in a way that is so well liked. Uh, We have the best cars, the best clothes, the best. It's never really authentic. Mm. So if we had a society where we were true to ourselves. We talked about when we had good days, when we had bad days, um, what you're trying to grow and develop in. It would give people the ability to feel like they didn't have to be perfect all the time. 
Oh, that's a good takeaway. Yeah. Why do you think there's such a desire for people to feel the need to be perfect? And I'm going to ask you this personally, because you're in a competition where you've got to look good. You might look good already, but you've, you've got to do all these things, I suppose, as you said, in some aspects, having that facade. Why do you think people feel that need to always look perfect? Mm. I think it comes, it stems from a root of insecurity, a lot of insecurity. Um, a lack of soul searching that could be just you know really going not understanding who you are in a desperation to be the next best thing the next mm. biggest thing the best most flashiest thing um and needs you know the grass is always green on the other side no one's ever happy where they are and so you're striving to be this image that is not of you in an escape to get away from who you are as a person. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's understandable, but it's also not healthy. Okay. That makes sense. I think mm. that's something that not many people are able to do. And I say this to everyone that I'm around, that if you're not true to yourself, how do you expect other people to like you? You know, exactly. it's... It's quite simple. I think throughout this, you've been quite true to who you are. You've been quite honest with me. And I always ask this as almost like a final question. If you had a magic wand, what would you do to change the world? And how would you go about changing it? Oh, wow. It can be absolutely anything. Absolutely anything. That's a great question. I think that's the next post that I need to have on the Miss AAC Instagram page. <laughs> see, see, as you see... I'm just dropping inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> nuggets. <laughs> nuggets. Well prepared. If there's something that I would change. This, I mean, this could sound shallow, but I'll go along with the authenticity. I would mm. change people just feeling like they had to be anything other than themselves. Sticking true to who you are because there's beauty in difference. Yeah. We don't all have to be... Um, there's not a monolith we're not all one you know yes. we are individuals so just people feeling like they can live in their truth that's what i would change and through you living in your truth what advice would you give to the young girls out there that ultimately you're going to inspire by just even being a part of this contest and even if you go on to win either way you're going to be a mm -hmm. role model what would be your what would be your takeaways for them from this for them mm -hmm. Oh, that's a great question. Take away. Life is a journey. Accept things that come along for what they are. Learn and grow from them. And there's always beauty in growth. Um, life is not perfect. You are not perfect. And there's nothing that is perfect, but there's beauty in imperfection. And that's what I would say. And I suppose that is one of the perfect ways for us to conclude because just as you are beautiful on the outside, I think evidently you've shown today to be beautiful on the inside and being beautiful inside is more important than being beautiful on the outside. I, that's something I stand by. Definitely. I definitely have to say thank you so much for joining me. And 
another thing how can everybody support you how can we vote for you how can we donate to the charity perhaps that you're working with and what can we just do to support you as an individual in the contest and outside of it oh wow in the contest you can vote for me on the miss england website <laughs> i'm going to be dropping her link in my bio with the podcast so you can't miss it you text miss aac 072 oh what is put the link there I can't don't remember. Worry, don't worry. I'll put I'm not link. voting for myself. <laughs> don't worry. I'll put the link for you. I'm not voting for myself. And also, you can support by going and following um, Women's Aid on all their social media platforms. I'll put a link in my Instagram, which is at It's Remain. It's very long. Don't worry. I'll I link you. I'll link you all. Everything up. is linked. Follow the link in my bio and go support and sign up to be a campaign champion for Women's Aid and get the conversation going. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak to you as a contestant. I can only hope and pray with everyone if they vote for you that you'll go on to win as well. I think you'd make a great champion. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been a great conversation. Anytime. I'm really thankful. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks. Uh, bye. bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to having you again. If you've enjoyed, share, subscribe, follow and make sure everybody gets to have the blessing that is conversations. And remember, Flower Hour is the podcast where conversations blossom.